welcome to Five Cats, Two Pussies. This is Ronnie. And this is Lindsay. And if this is your first episode, we talk about witchcraft, witchy things, green witch stuff, spooky things, cryptids, whatever comes to mind. Heck, yeah, we do. But also our cats. (laughs) (laughs) Whether this is your first episode or your 63rd episode, we are really excited that you are here with us. We have a great episode today. Yeah, we are super psyched about this one. We are going to talk about Datora. Datora. Now, Datora is a poisonous plant. Ooh. It's in the witchy garden needs. So we'll, uh, we'll save all that fun information for a few minutes from now, but this is going to be a good one. <laughs> 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 Lindsay, before we get into things, you know what we have to do? Yes. Yes, I do know what we have to do. We're going to light our pretty new ritual candle. I remembered. Yes. (laughs) I usually don't. (laughs) Oh, no. I burned myself as we did. (laughs) (laughs) So we introduced our new little cat head candle. It's a little third eye from Calais. But I don't remember if we actually have had a chance to plug the candle company. So this is from Portland Beeswax Candle Company. And it looks like you can check them out on Etsy at Portland Beeswax Candle Co. Yeah. I think it's the Portland in Oregon and not the Portland in Maine. I would assume so since your sis lives on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, even though we live closer to Portland, Maine, when I see Portland blah, Portland skateboarding, Portland Candle Co., I always think West Coast. Yeah, I usually do too. But I don't know. Fuck this country and naming two cities the same thing. (laughs) 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 Didn't make it easy. (laughs) Well, Lindsay, how was your week? It was a good week. I was busy at work. I ran into a conversation this week that I had two days in a row completely (laughs) unintentionally. And I didn't even bring it up the second time, but it was about wetting the bed as an adult. (laughs) 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 so this is extra funny for me because the first time i believe the first time that was you and i were doing some some laundry together chatting about i don't know even how it came up with us either i don't either but ended up talking maybe about dumb things we did when we were drunk or i have no clue oh we definitely talked about like wetting our pants while walking home yes in like the snow or the rain and we were already wet and we had to pee so fuck it (laughs) yes yes that has happened for sure but now i'm curious Lindsay, have you ever wet the bed as an adult not that i recall no (laughs) i have wet my pants as an adult but not that i can recall while sleeping same same i have i've never wet the bed as an adult i have i've puked in my bed as an adult uh mostly from the flu or that sort of thing, being like, wake, that moment like where you wake up and you're really sick and you're like, I'm not going to make it to the bathroom. So my options are like roll over and puke like in my sheets or puke all over the floor where you know it's going to splatter everywhere. Uh. And so I opted for puking in my sheets and just wrapping it up and throwing it in like the, I think I just fucking threw those things away. <laughs> I, I might have, I can't same. remember. <laughs> but yeah, being like <laughs> having the flu and being that sick. I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I don't think I've ever barked on the actual bed. <laughs> Usually I can feel it coming and I'm like, gotta get a bowl or like yeah, I yell yeah. at Brian, puke bowl, and he'll bring me the puke bowl. Oh, totally. <laughs> yes. Usually 100% the same thing. But, you know, once in a while you you've like just wake up and you're like, nope, I've got 10 seconds and the bathroom is not 10 seconds away. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Uh, I feel like what's even worse than... Uh, Uh, like a human pissing in the bed is a cat pissing in the bed. Have you ever had that happen? (laughs) Yes. So I can't remember now if we have shared this story before or not, but old princess puddles got her name for a reason. So long before Nimbus and Django engineer, Dan and I had another cat named Daphne and Daphne had some real anxiety issues And I believe, oh my gosh, I want to say it was even her first night, but it was probably not. It was probably closer to like within the first week or two of her being here. She, uh, she took a liking to the smell of Dan and climbed up and was like, I'm going to sleep on his bed. Oh, because we were not, we were not an item at the time. We were roommates. 
So she climbed up, spent most of the evening in his room on his bed. He was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> he goes to bed. And the next thing I know, I can hear him yelling from downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, what is happening? And she like she unleashed a fire hydrant. Oh, she no. peed on his mattress like she was a full grown 40 year old man with like a beer belly, like just went and went and went. And now I remember. Haha. Now I remember why we got on the subject of pee at the laundromat. It's oh. because we watched that dog across the street. Oh, pee. my gosh. <laughs> that's right. It, so, <laughs> yes, <laughs> this dog also just peed and peed and peed and peed and peed, went back inside, came back outside five minutes later to keep peeing. And that's what Daphne did. She peed <laughs> all over his mattress, like to the point where like he laid down when, oh, God, jumped up and like was soaked. Like, ew, ew. We scrubbed that mattress so much. There was no getting it out, though. Yeah. And once she started, once cats start doing that, like every time she got anxious, rather than go to her litter box, she would pee on his bed. So she just kept doing it. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. She was a real treasure. (laughs) 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 Poor Princess Puddles. (laughs) She was a a real nasty bitch of a sweetheart. (laughs) But yeah, that it that sucks, man. A surprise pee puddle. Yeah. No fun. (laughs) No fun. Oh, well, I'm so glad our cats don't pee on the bed now, but Maybe you're listening and you're like, ooh, ooh, guess where my cat peed? (laughs) 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 Or maybe you've got to pee your pants or pee the bed story of your own. I don't know. But you can always share with us. Doesn't mean we'll share with everyone. We'll always ask permission first. But we'd love to hear your stories. So drop us a line. Let us know what you think. Give us your thoughts. Give us your feels. Give us your stories at 5c2pgmail.com. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Well, Lindsay. Ronnie. Is it time? I think it's time. All right. We're going to take a little break. Yeah. Come right on back and talk about the Torah. Totally. We'll see you soon, witches. Welcome back. Thanks, man. Okay, so I bet there are at least a couple of listeners who are wondering, how do you pick what you're going to talk about? And I think the answer is, I don't know, whatever we feel like usually. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. We have so many ideas and we just kind of like lay them all out there and then half of the time we forget what we had talked about. Oh my God, it's the worst. (laughs) Discussing and then then all of a sudden we're like, ooh, this sounds like fun. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is definitely like in the moment. What do we feel like researching as well? But this week is a little bit different. Similar in that that's, (laughs) that's how we ultimately arrived here. But... If you go back and listen to the episode on Mandrake, you'll notice I ordered some Mandrake babies. That's right. And there was a little bit of a mix-up with the website from where I ordered them. And so the kind person that owns the Mandragorium, which is on Instagram, at the Mandragorium, or she has her own website, which has a lot of really good information and a blog and everything, so I also recommend it. It's just themandragorium.com. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, and so I ordered seeds, uh, mandrake seeds from her. And she sent this cute little email and was like, I'm so sorry. My like website was fucked up and I will now send you your seeds, but I'll also send you something else. Awesome. And what she sent were these beautifully packaged mandrake seeds, belladonna seeds, and datura seeds. So awesome, dude. And I was like, what the fuck is a Detora? <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> if I'm going to try and grow it, <laughs> let's like let's at least learn something about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Detora is a species of about nine different poisonous flowering plants. Uh, They belong to the nightshade family, but there are several different species in and amongst themselves. 
Um, they are traditionally um, cultivated for showy flowers these days, but there's a lot of other uses we'll go through over the next, you know, 40 minutes or so. But they're mostly considered a weed at this point. They grow in really warm climates all over the world, but usually they're just sort of like along the roadside or in other dusty, dry environments. And what I want to sort of point out at the top of this is we're going to talk a lot about Detora as a broad species, as a broad genus. And this, some of these things will apply specifically to a Detora that lives in one part of the world, like maybe uh, India or South Asia. And other parts of the world, like Mexico or the southern U.S., have different species. But we're just going to call it Detora in broad spectrums today. Yeah, well, that works for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> now... We also have, it is closely related to this sort of cousin that is often mistaken as Detora, and it is not, but it looks very similar. Um, and it is called Brugmansia. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that is known as angel's trumpets. And we'll get into some of the differences, but the, the main sort of like from a botanical sense, the main difference is that Brugmansia grows specifically as like an ornamental tree or shrub, and it has uh, seed pods that at their maturity split along like a line of weakness in the pond, like a milkweed. So the pond like rips open and then all the seeds sort of scatter to the wind in a Brugmansia. And in a Detora, it's very different. In a Detora, you have these spiky, spiny seed pods that... You sort of basically need to be crushed. They don't have that like seam ripper area. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Another difference that I saw that may be a little easier to identify it, like just by looking at it, because the flowers do look very similar, is that the the angels trumpets will they like kind of hang down. Yeah. Where the big part of the flower is like it's hanging down. Yeah. It's like a big bell. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, the Detora, it, it grows right side up. Exactly. Yes. Uh, that is the easiest way, probably, if you're just like looking at a plant that has this sort of elongated trumpet shaped flower. And they both species, unfortunately, both genus grow in white, pale pinks, pale purples and pale yellows. So they can be really confusing. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, they're also known by a bunch of different names, <laughs> of course, <laughs> because nobody wants to call it just a Torah. Everybody comes up with something fun. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So some of the common names are thorn apples because of those spiny seed pods. And that actually comes from a Sanskrit word for white thorn apple which is referring to the specific Detora, so Detora metal uh, of Southeast Asia. It is also known as Jimson Weeds. That is a very common and popular name as well. And Devil's Trumpets. So the ones that point up are Devil's Trumpets, and the ones that point down are Angel Trumpets. <laughs> <laughs> it could be known as Devil's Weed, Hell's Bells. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> Although I've also seen that for other nightshades. Oh. So I feel like that might just be sort of a nightshade thing. Could because be. I've seen it for Belladonna too. Could be, could be. And Moonflower. Now the Moonflower one I found particularly interesting because I immediately was like, oh, hell yeah, I have Detour growing in my yard. Eh, wrong. <laughs> I have moonflower vine growing in my yard, which is an invasive white vine with a trumpet-shaped white flower that looks very similar to Detora, but it's actually part of the Morning Glory family. Oh, okay. So moonflower vine and moonflower, two different things. Okay, all right. Both toxic. Oh, <laughs> interesting. One slightly more so. <laughs> <laughs> so this all started because I want to grow some. Which leads me to, how the fuck do I do that? And what is it that I'm growing? Like, am I growing a bush? Am I growing a tree? Am I growing a little plant? And essentially, the really fucking cool thing that's going to make this extra tricky is Detora species can change the size of their plant, leaf, and flowers, all depending on the location in which they are grown. Oh, no kidding. So you could take the same fucking plant, the same seed, and if you, like, grow it in a half-shady, like, damp location, it will develop into a flowering bush about two to four feet tall. 
And when it's growing in a really dry, sort of sandy location, it'll grow into like a thin plant, more like ankle height. And it'll have smaller leaves and smaller flowers, and it sort of spreads out as like a large ground cover. And so, same plant, same species, same package of seeds, two different looking things. I don't know what I'm going to get. That's so <laughs> crazy. What it does like, though, is warm climates. So it is typically a short-lived perennial. So um, it can continue to come back, but it actually fosters itself almost more like an evening primrose. And then an evening primrose can come back, but prefers to scatter its seeds and grow from a fresh seed. So it's, self, it's like a self-seeding annual or a short-lived perennial. Okay, all right. And if it's babied and pampered and grown in a warm environment, it'll, actu- like it'll continue to grow and it'll sustain itself. But in a zone like five where we are in the northern, uh, like northeastern part of the United States... It's going to have to either be grown inside or like planted from seed, grown, seeds gathered, start again. Oh, okay. It won't, it won't last our winters. Oh, okay. Well, that's a bummer, dude. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but I don't know. It'll, it'll, we'll see. It might be one of those like inside plants that I just put in, like I don't know, some sort of wire mesh closet so that the cats don't eat it and die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, it's going to be a production once I get these seeds started. I also don't know if I have white, pink, yellow, or pale purple flowers. I believe, based on the website, they'll be white. But I don't know. And maybe a listener would know and can fill us in. But I don't know if you have seeds from a specific plant, if it will like only produce white, or if it changes according to the soil, like a hydrangea. So here's something fun that I was reading. I was reading, I, I, I don't recall the website, but it was this lady who was talking about how she had planted Detora, and how she planted it, and it grew, and it grew into these like purpley kind of flowers. And it had seeded and come back the next year. And I believe that it did that several years over. But after that initial purple flower bloom, the flowers started coming in white year after year. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm in for a a wild (laughs) ride. I can't wait. I do plan to grow this. And I'll make sure I, like, mark this little journey and little, like, diary and give updates. But I have not started it yet. I just got the seeds. Super, super cool, dude. I'm so excited to see how it goes. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Now, we've learned a little bit about, you know, how it grows botanically, and we've learned a little bit about, like, what people call it in different places and stuff. But what I want to know is, can you smoke it? Can you smoke it? Why don't you take this one? (laughs) 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 So sometimes, dear listeners... Ronnie and Lindsay don't agree, (laughs) which is totally fine. (laughs) It is totally fine. Why don't, why don't, why don't you tell our dear listeners what your stance is is on it and then, and then I'll, I'll play off of that. Okay. So I understand that you can smoke it, but you shouldn't smoke it. My (laughs) stance is the risk of smoking this is so high that it is not worth the benefits for me. And that would be my stance in recommending to you listeners and to anybody else that were to ask me, can you smoke Datora? I'm going to say no, in that the amount of training necessary to be able to use this properly is not something that is easily accessible to 99% of the population. You really have to know what you're doing. For me, it's like, you can inject heroin. Should you? Probably not. <laughs> this is, I, I feel very similarly about this particular plant in you can, but I don't think you should. Fair, fair. And I think that for the general public, I also don't think that you should, but I do believe that you can so long as it is administered responsibly. Shaman and medicine men have been using it in rituals for thousands of years. Even now, I follow witches on like Instagram who go through uh, poisonous plant trainings, and they'll go on like similar shamanistic sort of like uh, 
uh, ritual kind of like spirit seeking stuff where they will take it, but they will take it under the guidance of somebody who knows how to use it, which I think is very important. Would I smoke it just as a couple of dummy podcasters (laughs) who happen to have our hands on a plant? Probably not. Would I do it under the guidance of somebody who knows how to dose it? Probably, yes, I would. That's fair. That this falls under the category. I think we were recently asked uh, by a listener if there was a plant that you could smoke without consequence, what would it be? Yeah, this falls into that category for me. Absolutely, I would. Absolutely. I would like like it's one of those like I'd be curious to see what happens, but the risks are so high that I would really like. My my level of trust in putting that in somebody else's hands is very low. <laughs> <laughs> Even though people, as you said, are very, very skilled and highly trained in this. Yeah. yeah. So that leads me to wonder, why the fuck is Ronnie so scared about this? <laughs> like, why? Like, <laughs> what are the consequences? What is this used for? And we've got a bunch of, like, cool historical tales uh, from both near history and far. Yeah. But I want to run through the little list of, like, here's some of the things it can do to you first. So it is, uh, it is a psychoactive drug. It is a hallucinogen. It's been used as a hallucinogen throughout history. But... As a, like, just a, you've accidentally eaten a leaf or you, like, munched on a flower or even got some, like, oil from the flower, like, really ground into your hands. Here's some of the bad shit. Here's some of the things that can happen. So, uh, it is a delirium. So, it usually, that means it, like, it's a complete or relative inability to differentiate fantasy from reality. It causes bizarre and possibly violent behavior because of that. It can cause illusions and severe uh, dilated pupils with like basically ending up in like your pupils won't go back to normal for several days. So you have uh, like photophobia, which is really painful if you are not prepared for that. (laughs) It can cause dysphoria and confusion. Uh, It can cause uh, pronounced amnesia. So you will forget for several days, or you may never remember the thing that happened. Uh, muscle stiffness, urinary retention, dry skin, dry mouth, temporary paralysis. And basically, if you like take a heavy enough dose of this, it will start having an effect in 30 to 60 minutes after ingestion. The symptoms last from 24 to 48 hours. And in some cases, they have been noted to last up to two weeks or longer. There is a really cool website called Psychonaut Wiki. And if you want to go into Psychonaut Wiki and put in Datora, uh, it gives you a breakdown of the, like, by hour, these are the things that can occur starting at 30 minutes and going through 48 hours. And the list is horrifying. <laughs> it just gets worse. The like the high builds and builds and builds and it doesn't peak until like something like 8 hours after taking it and then it lasts up to 24 hours. <laughs> it's like no. No thank you. Like this isn't I ate too many brownies. This is like once you've taken it there's no going back and the result Um, can also affect your breathing and and temporary paralysis of things like your lungs and your heart, and you die. So for me, this just doesn't sound like a good enough time. (laughs) (laughs) I I have a story of uh, kind of about like, you know how you mentioned we ate too many brownies. These guys kind of ate too many brownies. And uh, they had what seems like a good old time, but you know, maybe not, maybe not so much for some of them. You mentioned earlier uh, that one of the names for it is Jimson weed. So that apparently comes from people used to call it Jamestown weed. And it was because in, I actually don't even have the year, so I'm, I don't know why <laughs> I said in, but uh, th- there were these British soldiers like hanging out in Jamestown, Virginia, and they found this plant and it was, it was like a young variation of the plant. So they like took it and they boiled it up and they made a salad with it and they ate it and these dudes tripped the fuck out for 11 <laughs> days. Oh my God. <laughs> 
tripped the fuck out. And this dude, Robert Beverly, in the year 1705, he wrote about it in his History and Present State of Virginia. So I guess it it must have been like 1700s, 1700s that these dudes did this. So he writes, This being an early plant was gathered very young for a boiled salad by some of the soldiers, and some of them eat plentifully of it, the effect of which was a very pleasant comedy for they turned natural fools upon it for several days. One would blow up a feather in the air. Another <laughs> <laughs> another would dart straws at it with much fury. And another stark naked was sitting up in a corner like a monkey, grinning and making mouths at them. A fourth would fondly kiss and paw his companions and sneer in their faces with a countenance more antic than any in a Dutch droll. In this frantic condition, they were confined, lest they should in their folly destroy themselves, though it was observed that all their actions were full of innocence and good nature. Indeed, they were not very cleanly, for they would have wallowed in their own excrements if they had not been prevented. A thousand such simple tricks they played, and after 11 days, returned to themselves again, not remembering anything that had passed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Could you imagine tripping for 11 days? No, I don't. I I mean, I don't even like THC. So, no, (laughs) I can't. Uh, Like, I can't. Because to me, also, I feel like because you don't remember then it would just be like, I lost 11 days. Not like I had a bad time for 11 days or I had like a ridiculous time for 11 days. Just, it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> my, my life was 11 days shorter. <laughs> I can't imagine the, like, the awfulness of under, like, at some point you have to eat this and then know that this is happening and not expect this to be happening. And then just yeah. like be like, oh no. Oh no, what'd you put in that salad? <laughs> they must have eaten a lot of it, dude. It doesn't actually take very much. Like I uh, going through on the flower and seed side of things, if a grown average adult, a male, eats three flowers, I think that was what, if I remember correctly now, I uh, have to go back and double check that, but it was not very much. It's like a very, very small amount can be very deadly and yeah. But since they boiled it, I wonder if it like cleared out some of the toxin, like with pokeweed, you know. Fair. I don't. I don't think it does that with this one because uh, they. Okay. I know some of the other shamanistic uses of this mm-hmm. are are smoking, are boiling it into tea, are making a poultice for like pussy sores. Ew. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it does have like a lessening effect, but you need such a small amount that I don't think it really matters. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they eat they eat a lot and then tripped for 11 days, 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> not 48 hours <laughs> uh there's similar sort of unfortunate um accounts in the 90s and 2000s as well so gymsum um, is something that oddly my mom talks about sometimes too of like i have to go clear the gymsum weed and i'm like oh um, you have gymsum weed growing in your like yard <laughs> i never noticed but uh In the southern United States, in the 90s and 2000s, there were a variety of, like, more, unfortunately, more stories than should have occurred of adolescents uh, who were smoking Jimson weed because they, somebody read and at the dawn of the internet kind of thing was like, hey, you can, you know, they, like, they talked about it and they're like, you can get high off this free plant. And they didn't have any training. So they ingested Datora, and unfortunately, a lot of them became seriously ill, um, would in the 1800s be considered to have suffered from madness, and a lot of them actually died because they didn't know what they were doing. So they rolled a blunt of gymsum weed and fucking died. Yeah, that's pretty awful. And in, uh, in some parts of the world, this is actually like done on purpose, too knowing that it's very toxic, knowing that it is very poisonous and lethal in certain amounts, it has actually been used as a a proper, like, out-and-out poison for malicious intent. 
So I was reading, actually, that the name Datura could come from this, like, group of thugs in India that were called the Datorius. Who Which is so cool. It is, right? And I don't know, like, how long they've been around. I imagine for a while, if that's where people think that the name came from. But they would apparently use the plant to, like, stupefy or poison their victims. Which is freaking awesome. <laughs> because in as er, like recent as between like the 50s and 60s in India, there's actually this group called the thugs who are practitioners of, uh, I believe it's called thuggy. And they were basically devotees of an Indian religious cult and they were robbers and assassins. I feel like I'm reading something of a fairy tale here, but they were like robbers and assassins who would strangle and or poison their victims in rituals devoted to the Hindu goddess Kali. And they were basically using the Torah in most of their poisonings. And even if, even in those who they did not poison to death, they would induce uh, hallucinogen, uh, hallucinogenic reactions in them to make it easier to strangle them. Oh, I wonder if the group that's like then or now known as the thugs are like descendants of I have notorious. N- I have no idea, but I feel like this is some like Assassin Creed shit. Dude. <laughs> it's so it's so weird. Like <laughs> this is I think this is the first time we've covered a poisonous plant where we can truly say people made poison from it to poison people. Yeah. Like this is what this does. <laughs> <laughs> But as you mentioned at the top, it's not all bad. So there are a lot of shamanistic uses. There's a lot of witchcraft uses. And, you know, I think that maybe we should talk about some of those things. Take a little break and and come back and talk about some of the less bad uses. (laughs) Yeah. How to have fun with the Torah. Coming up. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be right back. See you soon, witches. Welcome back. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That was a lovely welcome. It's just because I'm so excited to be back with you. Yay. So, Ronnie, we've discussed Datora a little bit. We mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about, like, botanical stuff. We talked about some fun, funky names for it. We've talked about people tripping the fuck out on it. We've also talked about people, like, dying on mm-hmm. it. Sadly. Sadly. But we did mention that, you know, like, shamans have been using it forever in rituals and that it's been used in witchcraft quite a bit over, you know, the centuries. I'd like to know a little more about that. Yeah, I think we've made this plant into a big scary monster, <laughs> which uh, which is appropriate. Like, I'm not going to downplay its big scariness, but there are also some ways that it can be used if treated properly, and is actually what is known as like one of the big four in a witch's garden. So. Um, essentially, there's this sort of classical thought in modern w- classical thought in modern witchcraft, which now sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but <laughs> in in a witch's garden, it is thought that there are these sort of witch's weeds. So deadly nightshade, hensbane, mandrake, and datura. And these are like the big, like the big four. They're like if you are a, a witch who pours their craft into their gardening. These are likely plants that you are interested in, and they are sort of known as the internal garden of Hecate. And it's basically because they have really effective use in sorcery, in both ancient witchcraft, modern witchcraft, and they are all plants that are associated with both positive and negative connotations. So they have the ability to heal, but also harm. They can give power and they can take it away. They have, some people think, placed themselves in the path of the witch to be absorbed, used, and to give power back. Because like Mandrake, if you want to go back to that episode to check that plant out, you know, some plants have a, a little bit of a will and a mind of their own, especially ones that are very hallucinogenic. Yeah. 
in some capacity and in in some mixture of all of these plants, it's believed that there was a a flying ointment made by witches. Yeah. Which, you know, people thought, oh, this is what made them fly on their broomsticks. But in reality, they're just like, you know, they're just tripping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They believed they could fly. (laughs) Yeah. So like people believed that this is what made witches fly and and they would get them to their like midnight sabbats. Yeah. But they believed that the way that people would get high off of this or, or, or what made it work was that it was absorbed through the vagina <laughs> from the handle of the broomstick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know about you, but that sounds like a whole lot of fun to me. <laughs> like, fuck. All right. <laughs> I want to rename. <laughs> I want to rename my dildo broomstick. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! I had no idea, <laughs> but I did. I had read and heard that as well. Of like the, like they would basically group of women would even get together, drink or like use a concoction in some way ritualistically of these types of plants and trip together yeah. in a very communal kind of way in a very shamanistic kind of way and oh i dig that idea so do i <laughs> uh but that has now t- sort of translated into this idea of uh detora among these other witch weeds also represent like the dark goddesses um, who you know were some of the first to maybe journey to the depths of the earth. They've returned with this arcane knowledge. It's this sort of this occulty, deep lore side of witchcraft, and uh, it's sort of also related to you know the, like, witchcraft isn't all salt baths and love spells. It's also you know, poison knowledge and knowing what, like, what is helpful and what is harmful and how to use things with respect and, you know, how to honor the dead or commune with the dead. And it's, you know, that sort of darker side. So I dig these plants for that reason. Yeah, totally, dude. Now, in modern witchcraft, from a, like, poisonous plant perspective, Detora is connected with Saturn. I've also read that it's connected with Jupiter and I believe Venus and Mars and like seven other planets. So I don't know (laughs) (laughs) that I have to do more reading into what makes a plant connected to a planet. But the thought there with Saturn is that um, it, you know, is it is connected to Saturn through its poisonous roots. And that's mostly what we're focused on today. So I'm going with that one. Okay. And at this point, As it relates specifically to witchcraft, some magical applications for the plant could be, as we talked about, psychic enhancement through like visions and uh, and and divination and that side of things, dream magic, and being able to like basically trip and and, you know enhance that uh, sort of side of things, Uh, manipulative, forceful love spells. Gotta love it when they straight up put it in there forceful love spells so if you want to make a rapey love spell you can use Torah. how about just no yeah like that that one can just fuck right off (gasps) uh you can use it to connect to the darker aspects of the fairy realm and things that are like active at night spells of manipulation hypnosis submission hexing i've seen all of those and the one i actually did like was for me in my practice, the idea that it can be connected to nocturnal allies like owls and insects and moths. And I believe that may come from the fact that there is a particular species of moth, especially in South America, that really likes this particular plant. It's like this little like white and gray, fluffy, furry moth. And like it is known to like specifically feed on the flowers of Detora. Oh, and so I like I like that side of it. I'm like, yeah, I would grow things to attract moths to my garden. I wonder if the moth gets high off of it. I don't know. I don't know. I would love. T- I, I I now want to immediately write a comic book on moths tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
so you mentioned divination in there, and I, I did read that uh, it's believed that it used to be burned for the Oracle of Delphi in ancient Greece. Ooh, yeah, to like to like induce a a, a trance, like and you being used as an incense. That's pretty dope. Yeah, and now it's been used by I think a lot of a lot of different uh, you know shamanistic tribal folklore folk magic type individuals practices and people across the world because although it's now currently believed that it originated in South and Central America, it has been transplanted through the centuries to Asia and to uh, to Europe now as well. So it grows most places, especially those that have warmer, drier climates or warm, moist climates, which is pretty much everywhere but like Northern Europe and Canada. <laughs> And here. <laughs> and here. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things that I was really surprised to find and very excited about, and I'm going to butcher so many words here, but this was a very, very popular plant in Mexico. And what was formerly part of Mexican territories, I suppose. I don't know my history very well here, but southern U.S., Mexico, and then down into Central America as well. And in that region, it is known as tulash. Tulash, cool. Yeah. So tulash has its own thing. <laughs> <laughs> so buckle up. <laughs> uh, tulash is basically... The Torah, but it is, it is in fact a Torah, but it is used as a plant that could ward off evil magic. Instead of being used for evil, you used it to protect yourself from evil. Oh, cool. And it was believed that it could kill witches and sorcerers. Oh, yikes. <laughs> and so I'm not sure. I couldn't find a lot on like how that would be used, but it was a protective herb. It was used and seen as a very beneficial thing, not a big, scary, hairy, poisonous deal, because they actually knew, probably through a lot of trial and error, probably yeah. <laughs> how to use it and treat it respectfully. I wonder if they were like, oh, you died because of this. You must be a witch. I wonder if that's like where it came from. Maybe. I mean, they even there were even some uh, warriors that would make an extraction of Talosh and cover their weapons in it. And then basically it would it was thought that it would make them uh, like a fighter or a warrior against evil magics. Whoa. Yeah. That's super cool. Like, <laughs> I, I wanted to say cool, but like also crazy at the same time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, even the word tolosh is um, is sort of derived from, I believe, a Mayan word that means like nodding your head, and it's both a like symbol of reverence to the plant itself, but also um, of the little like upside down flowers that are like, oh, sort of like bobbing their head. Oh, okay. Now the. I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But the Mihe of Oaxaca. Oh, you perfect. Oh, dude. I got it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they believed that the spirit of an old woman actually lived in Tolosh plants. And Mihe word for Datora uh, is actually translated into grandmother. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Oh. And basically, they would make like little small sacrifices to the flower when they harvested it because of that. Which I found fascinating because, one, it gives the plant a feminine property. Mm -hmm. And, two, grandmother is, like, this position of respect and matriarch. And it is, like, somebody who is all-caring, all-knowing, and protective. And so another example of they didn't see this as a big, scary plant that was used for assassins. They were like, no, tulash, with respect. And we give thanks. Oh. Have a little present. That's awesome. Yeah. I thought it was nice. <laughs> now, they basically used it for a couple of different things. The big, the big one was divination. So, uh, you know, it was used uh, like as a psychoactive, um, often rolled into cigars or smokables. So, Lindsay is right. You can smoke it. <laughs> Still makes me nervous. <laughs> um, or they would eat the seeds. Because the seeds are highly toxic. Yeah. And they would use this to, like, as part of their ceremonial ritual to gain insight on whatever, like, if it was a ritual to 
understand when it was going to rain or when they should plant or what they should do like against this warring neighbor or whatever they would you know perform a specific ritual but this could be used as part of that to gain insight and basically get the wisdom of the grandmother and they would also use it to uh to basically like help uh treat mental illness which i found kind of interesting so um there is uh, a different area of Mexico where the, I'm going to butcher this one too, but where the uh, Mapuche used to use this to treat mental illness that was thought to be caused by evil spirits. And you would basically um, take the Torah to Lush and you would hallucinate. And you, the options were you would like hallucinate yourself out of it or you would die because of it. Okay. <laughs> and it was like, this will either fix you or, like, the evil spirits will win. I'm actually super on board with that, dude, because I've used hallucinogens before to, like, get myself out of depressions and stuff yeah. like that. Um, whether it be, like, LSD or mushrooms or I guess that's pretty much it. But, like, and people now are finding that, like, microdosing yeah. on hallucinogens really help with mental issues like that. Yeah, and so I wanted to mention that because... You know, there could be a world in which this could, like, I could see this being a microdose, like, if you yeah. figure it out kind of thing. But, yeah, this was, like, an early, uh, like, an early version of that. Like, take some of this. It will help you. Or if the evil spirits win, you'll die because you took too much. Yeah. And I, I think that they can do that. I think that they can control it. In and and I'm sorry, I'm jumping I'm gonna jump a little no, more to jump. like modern times, I guess, or like eighteen hundreds where people were starting to uh they were be they were starting to be able to isolate the alkaloids in this plant that, you know, make it do the funny things that it does. So one of these alkaloids, scopolamine, was isolated in, like, the 1830s. And they found that it really helped during, like, childbirth. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they were able to use it with, like, a series of injections using the scopolamine and morphine. And it would help a woman get through childbirth. Now, it didn't help with the pain. They would still be, like, screaming okay. in agony. And, but it, what it would do would it would would it would make them forget about all of the pain afterwards. So they called it like a a twilight sleep. Oh, that's really cool. So almost like they were putting you to sleep, but not. I I dig that. That was actually a uh, so an uh, Aztec uh, herbal remedy, I suppose, uh, that was described in oral histories um, that the ab uh, sorry. The Aztecs would make a tolosh brew and it would help ease childbirth pains. Oh, so yeah. I, I'm wondering if they were doing the same thing. Just it wasn't actually helping the pain. It was just helping them through it. Right. And, like, so and, and come out on the other side without that trauma. Yeah. So I figured that if they can like isolate the alkaloid at some point, they must be able to like isolate the alkaloids. And there's three different ones. But whichever is the one that's responsible for like, you know making you hallucinate, I guess. Uh, they isolate it at some point, are able to figure out how to isolate it and dose it out, and then create something that helps people get through, you know, like their mental health issues. Oh, that's awesome. I think that that would be fantastic. I am, oh, given all of my, like, I'm not even in THC, and, like, I don't like the way that these t things tend to affect me. I think that's usually because through my own trial and error, I have had, like, good and not so good experiences but if it was all microdosed out what like by a doctor or an expert in this area this is where i start getting into the like i maybe try it yeah <laughs> if it was like a little teeny tiny dose you know what's also <laughs> a little funny about the scopolamine no it, it, they found that it can be used as a truth serum too oh <laughs> like an actual <laughs> will make you talk yeah, so the doctors who were using it to, like, help these women through childbirth found out that they, they became pretty candid after, you know, they were administered it. And once that was found out, like, the CIA and, like, different police organizations and even the Nazis, they started using it as truth serums. Wow, that is pretty crazy. I know. Hmm. All from one little plant. All from a single little plant. 
Now, we've talked a lot, I think, about both the good and the bad that could be used from this, but I have one last little tidbit Ooh. that I want to end on. And with a lot of these, I do tend to, even if we don't talk about it, look up the, if you accidentally ingest too much blah, or you have an allergic, especially when we're smoking something, if you have an allergic reaction, is there something that you can do, should do to like neutralize the effect? Sort of a, like, should you drink a cup of vinegar kind of thing oh. to like throw it up or, you know, whatever it might be. Now with the Torah, there is, to my reading and research, there is no known antidote if you ingest too much. Doctors will absolutely be your first lifeline here. Like you should, if you accidentally think you ingested some Detora or you did it on purpose and you're like, oh, I regret this choice, like call, like call 911, like get yourself to a doctor. They can fix it. But just sort of in general, like, you know, you're doing it at home in a ritual, like there's no known antidote to fixing this. Once so you've taken it, you've taken it except there is no scientific research to back this up, but there is a lot of chatter, shall we say, a lot of oral folklore that the life-saving antidote to Detora is another psychoactive Mesoamerican plant, peyote. Oh, is it the mescaline part of the peyote or like the whole peyote plant? I don't know. I huh. what I know, like what I read was sort of over and over. I'm sure this is like guts, like it was in a book somewhere, and then people have just been like copying the same information. Now we're going to do the same thing, but <laughs> uh, but essentially, uh, it was yeah, it was thought that you could take peyote to counterbalance the like negative effects of Detora. Now to me, that just sounds like. A horrible concoction. Yeah. <laughs> but. Oh, weird, yeah. dude. I, I like the idea that you could, like, stop a psychoactive with a psychoactive. Right. <laughs> stop this one bad trip and start up another trip. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> How about no? So <laughs> crazy. Well. I can't wait to grow this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited to see how it turns out for you. I am too. I hope that it grows into sort of a, a shorter, flatter plant and um, not into a big giant bush because I don't have enough room in my <laughs> little, uh, my, my, what's now quickly turning into a little greenhouse um, inside for another giant tree-like plant. But we'll see what happens. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do a bunch more research on how to grow this from seed and we'll happy, happily document this. And after I've got it going, we'll come back to this and recap on like, what did I do? How did I get it going? Where is it at? But I want to have a like pass fail before I do so. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I feel like we didn't like super deep dive into with Detora too. So I, I would like to revisit this and like once your plant gets going and and talk about your experiences growing it as well as touching on a few more things that we didn't really get into this time. Yeah, that'd be great. And as always, highly recommend if this was interesting to you, go out and like do some reading and research on your own because there is so much more. So much. <laughs> <laughs> but until next week, hang in there. Hope your January is going well. We'll talk to you soon. But remember, no pervs, no Nazis, no sharts. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs>